good luck, buddy. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you on that one. Uh, let them listen to the IndiaCast. I mean, that's about as easy as it gets is listening to some audio. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the IndiaCast. Welcome to the IndiaCast. I am Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And this is the final episode of season the one. The last episode. The last one. We are both the sad se- and excited. The season finale, yeah. The season finale, yeah. Because it's been awesome. It's been a great journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also looking forward to taking a little time to regroup and get some things ready for the future. Um, so this episode, we are actually going to be answering listener Listener questions questions. uh, which we're super excited about Um, but before we do we actually are just going to answer some common questions that we just got over and over again that a lot of you asked yeah so like all the internet kept asking these first questions so So here we go we're just gonna answer those first yeah Okay, so uh, question number one, I've been listening all season long, and I've just been listening to each episode, and I go, oh, that sounds like me. Oh, wait, no, maybe that sounds like me. And I'm guessing what my type is. Uh, Can I just self-prescribe, or what do I need to do? Mm -hmm. So, Sam, what do they need to do? Um, They probably do need to take a test and find out for sure. They should take the free test, right? Yes, just go to Enneagram.com. No, I'm just kidding. I have no idea where the free test is, but... Don't don't take the free test. Don't take the free test. Pay 10 bucks. So, the deal is this. The free test will actually confuse you more than help you because they yeah. actually very frequently they will uh, misdiagnose you as the wrong type. They just so, don't ask enough questions. Yeah, like the two yeah. it, the the ten dollar one. It is two hundred questions, but by then it'll have a more thorough analysis of your personality. Just type in W E P P S in Google, and then the first link that comes up it's the Wagner Enneagram personality something something. Yeah, and our biggest recommendation, honestly, is this: is that if you really want to do a deep dive into your type and you really want to do an accurate diagnosis, you. You want to make sure that you understand not just your core type, but all your relationship of the other eight types as well. You need to come to our workshop. Our workshop, we're going to explain all this stuff in much, much more nuanced detail. And you're going to end up with your own personal Enneagram profile. So you're going to know way more than just your core type. You're going to know where you stand in relationship to all nine of these tools. Yeah, and we'll be there to help you understand the scores and break that down for you a little better um, because it can can get a little complicated so we'll be there to help and don't forget that you can win two tickets to our next workshop just by joining our contest to enter that contest all you have to do is join our mailing list over at lovethyneighborhood.org slash cast or you can leave a review for us on itunes and we'll give you a second entry into that contest so you want two chances to win join the mailing list or leave us a review on itunes and you can do those things by going over to lovethyneighborhood.org slash Enneacast or register for the workshop at lovethyneighborhood.org slash Enneagram workshop. Okay, question number two. Can my core type number change? So I took it once and I was a blank number, but now I took it again and I'm a other number. Like, so what's going on? Have yeah. I been mistyped? What's happened? Like, I think, Jesse, you say it pretty well. Uh, typically, if you take it once... 
um, and you do get one number. And then several years later, several months later, you take it again and you get another number. Typically, in one of those scenarios, you were mistyped. And uh, typically, it's the first time. So as we grow in our understanding of the Enneagram and understanding of ourselves, our self-awareness will uh, will also grow. And so we'll have more clarity with which we can answer the questions. And so round two will probably be a more accurate version of the truth, I would say. Yeah, I would say more commonly that as people take it again and again, I don't recommend taking it every six months. Like right. you need to take it every two or three years. In mm-hmm. fact, I don't recommend taking it uh, any more often than that um, because it's just not that helpful. But every two to three years, if you want to take it, uh, your core type will stay the same. Um, but if it does shift, what that just means is it means you've grown in your self-clarity. You have a better understanding of who you are and that your previous Enneagram results were uh, were not as accurate as your most current ones. Mm. So you have a better understanding of who you are. So congratulations. You know yourself You did better. it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Question three. Do certain types get along better with other types? Yes and no. Yeah. So what I would say on this one is that, and this is actually one of the most common questions that we've gotten. Yeah, we need um, to do a whole episode on compatibility and and stuff like that. And I think the easiest way to say it is this, is that you're going to find plenty of research that shows, yes, yeah, certain types gravitate towards each other, but I believe they gravitate towards each other more commonly out of their non-resourceful stuff than out of their resourceful Ooh, stuff. Interesting. Because their resourceful stuff, uh, when any of us is healthy and resourceful, we should be able to go spend time with other healthy, resourceful people. And it doesn't matter what the personality type is. We're healthy folks that are spending time together. Mm. But if we find ourselves uh, withdrawing from certain personalities, usually it has to do with their unhealthy traits, not their healthy traits. So, so can you elaborate a little bit more? So if I'm drawn to a certain type or withdrawn from a certain type is that are you saying that it's because of my unhealth or that type's unhealth or both like yeah just, it could be both things okay. it could be one or the other uh or both yeah. so so yeah. that's but somewhere I'm... in the mix there's some unhealth going on and we need to be honest with ourselves and just go you know what maybe my own insecurity my own fear my own guilt my shame like whatever it is um is playing a role right now my selfishness and that's why i don't want to spend time with these other people hmm. uh when actually it might not it may not be the other person's fault. So, yeah, there's some studies that show, yes, certain people gravitate towards each other. But our fundamental belief is that healthy people should be able to hang out with other healthy people uh, and that type is not the issue. It's our health or lack thereof. That's good. Okay, so very similar question. Uh, So question number four, are some numbers more romantically compatible? So what do you think, Sam? This is a big question. So like statistically, probably, but... Um, again, I think it just goes back to like the health. Um, I, I do think that we may have the propensity to be attracted to different types and be not as attracted to other types. But I, but again, that's like, it's a person to person basis. And I think if we were going to get into our twos, the most compatible with sixes and our fours, the most compatible with eights. If, if you're listening and you're one of those numbers and we tell you what you're compatible and not compatible with, there's going to be a falling out in your life that we just don't really want to be yeah, responsible like we, for. Yeah, like we just don't like the Enneagram well enough to sit here and like screw up your relationship. Right. You know, if you if you have a, a good thing going and both of you are relatively healthy, moving in a healthy direction, it doesn't matter if you're the same type, different types, if you are statistically, you know, the anomaly, none of that matters. It all mm-hmm. comes down to the extent to which you are healthy or that you are unhealthy. Yeah, I would say too, like if you are single and you're thinking about, okay, what type am I more naturally compatible with? I don't think that's the best question to be asking. I think really focusing on your own self-awareness and your own ability to grow and understand your needs and your desires and your preferences and your story, I think that that would do much better than trying to find somebody that will fit 
better, quote unquote, because it's really about your self-awareness and your level of health and and really starting with you. Yeah. And for us as Christians, it's going to come down to as well, like, you know, finding people that hold our core convictions. You know, do these right. does this other person value the deepest things in life that I value? And the truth is that my taste in movies or music like that's not my deepest stuff. That's like the external, you know, stuff on top. So, you know, we're not going to prescribe that these two types are always great with each other. Yeah. You know, maybe go find another podcast for that. Like, but that's we can't offer you that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, number five. Why do you focus so much on the negative? So, you know, in every single episode of the Enneacast, you have heard us talk about uh, both the positive and negative traits of each of the types. And one question we keep getting is, why are you spending so much time being so negative about things? Um, and the truth is that it actually depends on who you ask whether we're even being negative or not. That's true. In the last 24 hours, I have heard from one person that said, you all are way too negative. And I heard from another person that said, you all gloss over things way too quickly. Uh, so I say that to say that different personality types have different things thresholds of sensitivity to, Ooh, issue, uh, to, to issues of negativity, you know? Yeah. So some folks just, it really feels negative uh, while others are like, well, that wasn't too bad. When in reality, we're giving the same amount of attention to uh, to the issues in each of the personalities. Yeah, types. our notes are the same for every episode, but there have been a few episodes that that we have gotten notorious feedback from that you guys spent a lot of time harping on that, that particular uh aspect of my personality, the negative side of my personality. So Yeah, so our our desire is not to be negative, but it is this. There's a real danger and liability to the negative aspects of our personality. And so part of us is emphasizing those things is because we we just want to ensure that folks don't just gloss over things. So again, you know, and honestly the folks that, you know, tend to feel it's negative, they tend to be those positive outlook people that we talked about in the conflict Con resolution. The conflict resolution episode. Yeah. And yeah. too, um, another thing to keep in mind is uh, the Enneagram itself actually focuses on uh, the negative parts of our personality. There are there are plenty of other personality tools out there like Strengths Finders and Myers Briggs that talk about the positive things that we can live toward. But really, the opportunities of growth happen whenever we know our weaknesses and know our, our the negative shadow spots of ourself. So the Enneagram itself is one of the tools that that uses kind of the negative shadow side of who we are to actually help us grow, and we want to we want to honor that and and live toward that as well. Okay, so when we come back, we will be going through your listener questions. So please stay with us. Do issues of poverty and injustice make you feel heartbroken, overwhelmed, or confused? Are you like many young adults who see all of these needs happening around the world, but you just don't know where to start? Well, we can help with that. Love Thy Neighborhood is an urban missions agency for young adults impacting social justice issues, both physically and spiritually. We've helped hundreds of young adults just like you do justice and build better Christian community. We partner with over a dozen nonprofits throughout the city that are on the front lines of causes like crisis pregnancy, homelessness, orphan care, refugees, and more. Or perhaps you want to contribute in a way that's a little bit more behind the scenes. We also have internship tracks in the areas of nonprofit leadership, as well as media and design and visual arts. So if you're between the ages of 18 and 30, head over to our website at lovethyneighborhood.org. Take a look at all of the different causes where you can make an impact. Choose the ones that you're most passionate about, and we will pair you up with an organization where you will make a real difference in real lives. We offer opportunities for a summer or a year. So again, head over to our website, lovethyneighborhood.org, and apply now.
welcome back to the Unity Cast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now we're going to answer your listener questions. Okay, so this first one comes from LT1391, and they ask, do you think people's Enneagram styles ever change? When I first took it, my style was one, wing two, and high six. Lately, however, I have related to everything type two and six, not as much one. Just curious. Lots of exclamation points. <laughs> yeah. Um, do they ever change? I I think it goes back to, again, whenever you took it the first time, it might have been a mistype. And so it depends on how old you are and how much work you've done in self-awareness. But I really do think it's a journey. And so the first two or three times may be, you know, different. You might come out a different way. And I think one and six feel similar. They're often mistyped. They're lookalike types of the other. So it's not uncommon for, I think, for those to be confused. And also the rest of your scores, you know, will fluctuate up and down in different ways depending on the season of life that you're in. Mm. All right. Question two comes from Lama Lindsay. Hey, hey Lindsay. What do you do if you strongly self-identify with one type, but the Enneagram test you've taken, even the high-quality ones, say that you're a different type? Or what do you do if you feel torn between the types slash don't strongly identify with any one type? Yeah, I would say that this goes back to something that a lot of Enneagram coaches recommend, which is that often we are gifted with the ability to know our type very quickly. We very strongly identify with something. We hear it, we go, yes, that is me. However, it's also common for people to just take a couple years to figure out which type is truly theirs. So we say sometimes it just takes time. Don't rush to identify with a certain type. Sometimes you just got to try different things on to see which one sort of resonates and feels right. So, you know, the first time that I took it, I was like, I am not a four. I am a three. And as the years went on, I went, nope, I'm definitely a four, but I have a lot of three as well. So um, so just know it just it just takes time. Yeah. OK. Question three comes from. BMO Boyle. Oftentimes it seems like we're putting people and their types into a box like, oh, yeah, you and these six people are all Enneagram 8s, so you're all the same. So how do we avoid categorizing people beyond the it's helpful to know how their brain works and becoming a bit condescending like, oh, I already know what you're going to say because you're an Enneagram 8. Well, uh, the Enneagram is not reductionistic. We are. So we are the problem in that situation. So we stereotype people and we make them into caricatures. And the whole purpose of the Enneagram is to not do that. The whole purpose of the Enneagram is to show, hey, we have all nine of these different personality traits and there's total score and resourceful score and non-resourceful score. And it's really complicated, but we don't know how to hold all that data in our brains. So a lot of times we just end up stereotyping people. So it goes back to our rules from episode one, which mm-hmm. is don't be a punk. Uh, don't don't stereotype people. Yeah. Don't be an Enya bully. Yeah, I think that's good. Okay, so this one comes from T. Laffin. As you get healthier in your core number, is it typical for one of your numbers to show up more? I think that's true. Yeah, as long as, yeah, because you're growing in your self-awareness and so you're really kind of honing in the resourceful stuff of your your core number but we are more than like life will call for different things from us and so even though you may be a really healthy three you might need to utilize some healthy six some healthy nine so yeah i do think that as we grow over time in self-awareness and self-clarity that we're going to be able to see oh that thing that i was doing in that scenario it's not working anymore i need to to learn other tools yeah and i would also say this is that remember if we think of all nine types as tools then we want to have as many tools in our tool belt as possible. So the goal is that we want to exercise all different nine traits. But the other side of it is this. 
uh, just like learning to ride a bike, when you first begin to pick up some of these other personality types, you're probably going to get it wrong for a long time because you're trying to do something that doesn't feel natural to you. Um, and so you may see non-resourceful scores start to come up as uh, as parts of your personality try to push back and uh, don't want to let you adapt and don't want to let you pick up these these new tools and these new ways of life. So, mm-hmm. but our our hope is yes, our hope is that yeah, as as you grow in your resourcefulness in certain areas. Areas, that you begin to try out lots of different aspects of, uh, of personality. Okay, so this one comes from Sarah M. Langston. She asked, what advice would you give someone who is tested high in every number but is less resourceful? We would say welcome to the club. Yeah, you did it. <laughs> uh, that is very, very common. Many of us uh, experience those types of scores. And the, the encouragement would be this. Your scores don't necessarily uh, determine the actions you're going to commit, but they are revealing vulnerabilities. You have a vulnerability to behave in all of these different ways that are not helpful or healthy for you, but it doesn't determine that you're going to do those things. And uh, the flip side of it is, you know, God's common grace is on you because I bet you still also have, you know, healthy scores in there too. So uh, don't freak out. It's common. We see it often. Uh, We ourselves have seen it on our own scores. That's when we say when it it will get worse before it gets better, like the journey of self-awareness. We're going to have to come to grips with our weaknesses in order for us to grow and really offer those up to the Lord for him to use and hold. But the other thing I love about this is that it's also a great opportunity for us to remember just how good the gospel is because For a lot of us, you know, we get our scores back, and if we're, like, more resourceful than we are non-resourceful, it only reinforces, you know, our dangerous false script, which is that we're pretty healthy people and we don't really need God for much. And so sometimes when we get things back and it's showing, oh, man, there's a lot of non-resourceful, it's just a good reminder of the truth that— we are always dependent on God and we are always in need of his grace and his grace runs from the highest mountain, you know, down to the lowest valley. It's going to meet us where we are. So if you look at your scores and you've got a bunch of non-resourceful stuff, it is a good reminder, like the Lord is with you and he has not abandoned you and he's going to continue to bring transformation. Uh, Simply Dulos Vibes asks, how do you use conflict resolution for each type? Uh, so go back just a, an episode from this one, and we actually went through different uh, different approaches to conflict resolution, talking about different subtypes. Um, but the other thing we do want to recommend is that's actually one element that we give a tool to everyone that attends our workshop. Um, we have a whole section about how the types relate to one another and about things that they can do uh, in their conflict resolution. And unfortunately, it is way more content than we could ever do in this episode. So maybe we'll do a future episode where we will revisit conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. But if you can't wait for that, then yeah, come to the workshop and we're going to give you some tools. Nice. Okay. Next question comes from Hella underscore Hannah. Why do you think people disrespect or are intimidated by female eights? That's a good question. I do think that um, Karen was on to something when she said that eights do get a bad rap. And unfortunately, I do think that of all the types we hear a lot of negative stuff from eights and we typically experience eights negativity. Like we experience a non-resourceful eight way more intensely than we experience somebody's non-resourceful nine or non-resourceful five. I think that it just has more significant consequences when they're unhealthy. And especially when it comes to women in general, I don't think that as a society in Western culture that we have a category for a really strong, powerful woman, even if she's healthy and, and knows how to how to hold that with with intensity and with grace. Um, so yeah, I do think in general, like as a society, 
at large, we don't know really what to do with with that when whenever you you do have a lot of eight. Yeah. And I would say that it gets especially bad within the church often because the church has created a stereotype of what a quote unquote godly woman is supposed to be. And uh, the belief that a godly woman is docile and meek and gentle always. Uh, but a godly man is bold and strong and, you know, all these other things. So I just want to encourage you that while there may sometimes feel like there's not a category for you within our understanding of the modern church, um, that is not true of God himself, that, that God did not make a mistake when uh, when he made very strong women. But uh, as Sam has already said, whether it's male or female, we have to take responsibility for our non-resourceful stuff. Um, so I would also encourage this is that if you are a female eight, go check out the Upside Down podcast. Uh, those three ladies, those three ladies that lead that podcast and host that podcast, uh, all of them are either core eights or wing eights. Uh, those are three strong, bold women, uh, and they're doing amazing work over at that podcast. So go check out the Upside Down podcast. Okay, so this comes from Asia.Elaine. How can one use knowledge of the Enneagram to serve their local church as a layman or laywoman? I think that's a really good question. Um, I think, again, it goes to if you know your number, then you know what you're naturally more good at and what you like to do and how you can serve. So I think it starts with the individual person. So if if you know that you have a lot of energy and a lot of direction, then then see where they need help in in ministries that, that need a lot of vision and direction. If you know you like to run things behind the scenes, then ask for help in that as a whole. And if you if you sense that there's a, lo- a level of lack of self-awareness in your church, um, then then maybe approach the pastors or set up a meeting or try to figure out, hey, how can we bring a level of self-clarity to this congregation? Um, because it really does seem like it's helpful for us to know one another better in order for us to love one another better. But the truth is that we also know that a lot of churches, you know, have a significant amount of health, but they also have a lack of health. And so knowledge of the Enneagram allows us as people uh, to be able to pursue reconciliation, to be agents of reconciliation. And so uh, so use your knowledge of the Enneagram in order to help people to come to creative compromises, to reconcile, uh, to see each other's point of view in ways that maybe they're blind to. Uh, So there's all those ways as well. So there's like the practical, like I'm going and I'm using my gifts of service, Mm -hmm. like I'm, you know, doing something with the worship team or I'm, you know, doing research for the pastor's sermon. Or there's stuff like I'm literally just doing relational coaching with the use of the Enneagram. Next question comes from Nick Mayer Media. How do the different Enneagram types work for and against pastors? I'm a nine. I'm trying to figure out if he's asking... Uh, like all nine types, how they would be as pastors? Well, let's let's just yeah, I think that is what Nick's asking. But let's let's just talk about the nine uh, in particular. And I think that it's it's the same thing. It's it's the it's the universal truths about the nine, both their strengths and their weaknesses. You mm-hmm. know that we've already explored in that episode. Um, but it's playing out in a church context. You know, there is this truth. There is a certain challenge for a nine to be the pastor because that means that you're number one in terms of. Uh, the most amount of attention in the church is going to be paid towards you and the highest amount of criticism in the church is going to be directed towards you as well. Those are real challenges for the nine. Uh, And it can cripple the nine to be fearful of making decisions that need to be made, 
personnel changes that may need to be made. But, you know, you also have that gift of loving people, being present with them, attentive to them, being non-judgmental. Like there's there's a lot of really wonderful things. Yeah, I think uh, nines feel like shepherds to me. They feel like people that kind of have their eyes uh, one step above everybody else. They, they're making sure that people don't fall off the ledge. They're making sure everybody's included. And so you're probably already really gifted in shepherding your congregation and knowing the needs of your congregation. So think about what it would look like to practice your decisiveness, to be more clear with your communication, and to be uh, more black and white and to more be more definitive. Uh, okay, this comes from Angie underscore M underscore K. <laughs> I hear you mention your kids' numbers. All I've read says don't type your kids, maybe with the exception of a teenager who's 17. The children change so much that you can force a type on them. Uh, so basically, Angie's worried because she hears me typing my kids. Or, or if it's okay to even do that. Or if it's okay to even do that. So uh, so Angie, here's what I would say. I, I don't know my kids' core types. Sam and I would be more along the lines that that doesn't really solidify until your early 20s. So let me, let me just... Let's put that out there. We don't think that your your type really fully solidifies until your early 20s, but we show tendencies immediately in, as kids. Uh, we all know it. There's kids that are somber. There's kids that are wild. There's kids that are funny. There's kids that are curious. There's kids that are skeptical. Like These are early indicators of personality type, but circumstances and different things can happen in life, and of course, personalities can shift. So what I say is I say that my kids have a lot of and I'll say a number, they have a lot of seven, they have a lot of nine, they have a lot of one. And as a result of that, I do try to speak the lost childhood messages of those types to my kids. And uh, for those that are wondering what I'm talking about, go back and listen to our childhood messages episode. But I try to figure out ways to apply the gospel directly into my kids' lives through the use of those lost childhood messages. And you parent them a little differently because of what you see in them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't give the same exact words of affirmation to each of my kids. They, they need slightly different messages, you know, mm-hmm. and slightly different interactions. You know, my son, if we're going to do something, he wants to go on a big, crazy, wild adventure, go on a roller coaster, go upside down, you know, until he throws up like that. Yay. You know, <laughs> yeah. but my daughter, that's not what she wants. Like she wants, can we go buy a sketch pad and sit quietly in a restaurant and both doodle while we sit next to each other? Like that's my kids are different. So I respond to them different. And the messages I give to them are going to be different as well. Yeah, that's really good. OK, so the next one, uh, also similar, um, it's from Sarah Walstead. <laughs> Hi, Sarah Walsh. She knows who she is. Can the season of life you're in impact your ability to be typed correctly? And her um, anecdote was, do I love to be alone or do I just want quiet away from my kids? Uh, If you have small children, there's a very good chance that you just want to be away from your kids. Yeah, your five score will go up. Kids are awesome, but, you know, it's it gets a little much when you're like, I'm just trying to pee. Can you give me two minutes? Yeah, but. Again, like the season of life, even like kid or not kid, I do think that certain seasons will call out different things in us. So if you have little kids, uh, you're probably your your two score may be more exaggerated in that season because you're just on like, what do they need in this moment? I'm always thinking about the needs of others. I'm always thinking about their safety. So, yeah, I, I think like two, six and one scores may elevate when you have like little people running around. Whenever you have older people, maybe that'll die down a little bit. So, yeah, season of life, yeah. I do think will pull out different things for different and, reasons. And point of reference will also. So the first time I ever took the Enneagram, I literally only thought about it in my work context. Mm. And because I only thought about it in my work context, in my work context, I am much, much more three than I am four uh, because that that is what responsibility looks like to lead <laughs> right. an organization. Right. They need more of my three stuff than my four stuff. So I lean into that more. You know, so I came out of three the first time, but in reality, I'm not. I'm, I'm really a four that mm-hmm. just uses that tool very often. Yeah. 
Okay, so this is from Rebecca Horch. What is the best way to become an Enneagram coach that doesn't take me away from my young children for big trips that I can't afford? Haha, for real though. So many multi-day workshops everywhere, but I'm having a hard time finding something online and doable. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com. Yeah, we want to plug Beth McCord here. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com. She's got online classes that you can take, and uh, it's exactly what you are looking for. So you're going to get certified as an Enneagram coach by going through her. Um, This next one is from Becca Ice. What are your top five books about the Enneagram, she asks. Well, you know, here's here's what I'm going to say, and I'm really not trying to just plug our workshop again. I mean this with all sincerity. Out of everything that we've read, we really do love Crosspoint Ministries' uh, material that they've developed. But the truth is, actually, you can only get it through Crosspoint and through our workshop. That That's the only place you can get it. But that is our, our preferred uh, interpretation and most helpful tool regarding the Enneagram. So I would say Crosspoint Ministries stuff, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, I would say I'm going to give it to Wisdom of the Enneagram. Okay. I think Wisdom of the Enneagram was excellent. By Rizzo and Hudson? Yep, but that's that's by Rizzo and Hudson. And then number three, I think if you're thinking about, okay, my I know about the Enneagram, but my you know cousin or roommate or mom doesn't. So I think the road back to you is always like the super easy onboarding ramp yeah. for, it's you know narrative-based, so it's really easy to kind of hear yourself in the stories. So that's by uh, Ian Crone and Susan Stabile, The Road Back to You. Uh, number four, I would recommend Are You My Type? Am I Yours? And that's that's by Renee Barron and Elizabeth Waggle. And it's really fun. It's really accessible. It's kind of looks uh, like a workbook. Yeah, it looks like a little workbook. It's got like a bunch of like doodles and drawings in it that are pretty fun. It's almost coffee table like. Um, and it's got some stuff about compatibility, about how all the types relate to each other. Uh, and so I I think that that one, you know, is is awesome. And then our fifth book is actually The Relational Soul by uh, our friends at Crosspoint, Rich Palast and Jim Cofield. So it's uh, moving from false self to deep connection. They actually explore some themes in the Enneagram. They actually, you'll hear more about some of the origins of some of our teaching will be in this book, The Relational Soul, Richard Plass, James Cofield. Yeah, it's a perfect companion because it's just going to walk you through literally how God designed our souls. It's got really deep, rich theology. It's got a really robust theological, spiritual framework to it. And so, yeah, we like, we like that one a lot. Okay, final question. And this one comes from our absolute favorite username. This is from Weasel the Robot. How can we best help someone who wants to know their number but doesn't want to research anything? <laughs> this one's funny. <laughs> uh, good luck, buddy. I don't know what to tell you on that one. Uh, let them listen to the IndiaCast. I mean, that's about as easy as it gets is listening to some audio. Yeah. Uh, if they, I would want to know why they want to know their number because their number is going to be like the starting point for them to do more research in like a lifelong journey of self-awareness. So if they just want a number to be like a cool person in the, with the badge, like I feel like that they just don't have the right uh, motives yet. So just, yeah, we can't help them, man. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah. Okay. So listen, when we come back, uh, we're actually going to be playing a special game. So please stay with us. On today's episode of the IndiaCast, we're answering your questions. In our postmodern society, it can be hard to know what to think and what to believe. How do we know what's right? To explore these matters further, listen to our other show, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. Be sure to check out episode number four, where the gospel meets abortion. 
Five kids was like, what am I going to do? I mean, that's the easy option. It's one of the few abortion clinics that has a public sidewalk entrance. We want to let you know that there are great resources available. Like I wasn't happy. And then I just hear it come out of my mouth. Tell me what happened. Subscribe now wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Just search Love Thy Neighborhood or head over to our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast. Welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now we are going to play Type Detective. Okay, so uh, this is how the game's going to work. This is our version of Two Truths and a Lie. Uh, The twist, however, is that you can ask questions about any one of the three statements that we make. Uh, There's going to be two rounds. The first round is going to be related to our core type, and then the second round is going to be related to our wing. So uh, the first round will be... Two truths and a lie about our core. And the second round will be two truths and a lie about our wing. Again, a reminder, so Sam is a nine core with a one wing. Mm-hmm. I am a four core with a three wing. So, uh, Sam, we're going to let you kick things off. Okay. So I am going to try to find your lie. I feel like I'm in the hot seat. Like You are in the hot seat. I feel like I need seat. like a spotlight shining down. Okay, round one. Okay, so one time I zoned out while I was driving and I ended up in another county. Um, No, that just feels true. Yeah, so uh, number two, I accidentally bought three candles at three different times, but they all had like relaxing, uh, like descriptive terms. And then number three, I accidentally was scammed by somebody who said they needed help on Facebook. Okay, okay, the third one, Mm -hmm. you got scammed on On Facebook. Facebook. Yeah, so somebody said that they needed help. Uh, they needed some items donated to them, and so I brought them. But it was totally, it was totally fake. It was a scam. What kind of items did they needed? They needed um, bedroom items. They needed some like pillows and blankets, and I had a lot of those because I'm a nine. But they were just not real. Like you showed up, mm-hmm. and there was not a person. They stole there? them from me. Yeah. Oh, hold, hold on. This is. <laughs> yeah, I keep asking questions about this one. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna cut to the chase. And I'm just gonna say that number three is the lie. It was a lie. It's a big lie. <laughs> Although I will say, I love the idea that there was a person on Facebook that was like, "I need pillows and blankets." You're like, "I'm made for this." Yeah. Uh, so I would just want to like, you know, circumvent all this hypothetical scenario. <laughs> Nines are most likely to be susceptible to falling into scams and traps and cults. So just. Be on your guard because just can't trust can't trust people out there. But nines are the most trustworthy people. So that's why I thought it would be a funny thing to add. (laughs) Okay, I I, I got a point. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So here's here's my three. Okay. so this is this is me being the forest four Mm -hmm. that I've ever forward. Number one, my first fight as a married man was about how the furniture was arranged. (laughs) Number two, I became so emotional once that I began scream crying on stage as I was leading worship. The problem is that it was during a soft hymn. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, Number three, I led a class-wide protest against my sixth-grade teacher. Uh, So tell me about the furniture situation with you and your wife. Yeah, my wife had the gall after we got married to rearrange all the furniture in our house without talking to me. 
And so, yeah, yeah, she like moved the dining room table and the uh, bookshelf and uh, like our exercise machine. And she hung up new artwork on the walls, all of this without a conversation. And she was shocked. She was like, I've never been with a man that cares about any of these things. And you care a lot about them. Mm -hmm. And we did. We had a huge argument about it. This is hard. I think they're all true. Is that the trick for this round? (laughs) (laughs) One of them is not true. Um, I was going to say number one or two. So, yeah, I'm going to say two. So number two. So you're saying the... That you didn't cry at worship. Emotional outburst in the worship service. Yes. That is the lie. Oh, yeah. Well done. Mm. I almost had you. You did. Ah. Here's the thing. I think... I was caught on number one because I was like, maybe that wasn't their first fight. Like, I'm, I'm maybe they oh, did have yeah, conversations yeah. about it. No, no, no. That that that's sadly, that, that is actually <laughs> historically true. All right. So we're not going to do our core type. We're going to do our wing. So have at it. And so, and, and again, your core, your wing is a is a one is a wing. One. Yeah. Okay. So, so pretty, I'm thinking about ones. Okay. Yeah. So remember, ones are very uh, righteous and uh, legalistic. Have a lot of rules. Want everything to be done the right way. So. Uh, they work really hard. So round number one, I worked three jobs and went to school full time in college. Uh, number two, I tried to start a new campus ministry my freshman year of college. Um, number three, I yelled at other people's kids in public. Uh, where was it? Where was this yelling? Uh, Chick-fil-A. At Chick-fil-A. Oh, gosh. All those Christians were just I know. judging I you. I was a terrible Christian that yeah. day. Okay. We didn't even pray before our food. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that they kick you out for that stuff. You're right. Uh, okay. The What was the first one again? Uh, worked three jobs and went to school full time. That's a lot of work. Mm. Three jobs. Mm-hmm. This is a tough one. Okay. I think that you would yell at somebody else's kids, but I don't think that it has historically happened yet. <laughs> so I'm going to say you have not yelled at other people's kids in public. I probably have, actually. That is not the lie. What? Yeah. I didn't work three jobs in college. I worked two jobs and went to school full time. Uh, that was a half truth. I'm sorry. Oh, that was good. Okay. Okay. Uh, here's mine. So again, my wing is a three. So the efficient, effective, get her done person. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, here, here are my three. You ready? Mm-hmm. Number one, I shook Bill Clinton's hand. Number two, at 25 years old, I was the booking agent for a Grammy winning artist. And number three, I once created a game at a party to get people to reveal their income to see if I was the wealthiest. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think it's that one. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna go with my gut and say that it's the third one. Was that so you think that I've, sh- I've, you think that I've shaken Bill Clinton's hand? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because I have. You've shaken Bill Clinton's hand. Mm-hmm. We've both shaken Bill <laughs> yeah. Clinton's hand. Yeah, he was running. Uh, he was campaigning for Hillary in 2008 when she ran against Obama the first time. I was in eighth grade and I was like, a president's coming to E Town. Why is he doing that? So I wanted to like go meet him. I had no political posture at that time. I was literally in eighth grade, but yeah, I've got to. Shake Bill Clinton's hand. Crazy. Mm-hmm. I shook his hand in seventh grade when he <laughs> wow. was running for office. Wow. First time. See? Yeah. Before Arsenio Hall. Uh, okay. And then you think at 25 years old, I was. I do think that. Agent. Yeah. Because yeah. of your experience with the music industry. I feel yeah. Like that one true. is true. Yeah. I was. I was a booking agent for an artist. So, yes, the third one is a lie. I would never do that. <laughs> that is like next level manipulation. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite my thing. The, yeah. That would be like, it's like Monopoly, but. In real life? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Sam, you're the winner. You're the winner of yes. Type Detective. You win five gold stars. Thank you.
Okay, so we always ask each of our guests five final questions, and I thought it would be fun for the end of season one for us to do that with each other. But yeah. uh, but we're going to switch it up. We're going to do different questions than we typically do. Uh, who was your favorite interview? Oh, man. Uh... I think it's Jonah. I think episode seven. Yeah, um, yeah, his was so good. His was just so surprisingly helpful and real and yeah, yeah super thankful. Thanks, Jonah, if you're listening for for going there for saying all that you did. Uh, so, what about you, Jesse? Uh, I would say my favorite was actually Dr. Eric Johnson, mm. and the reason was because I just had. I mean, just to be honest, I had a lot of stereotypes for ones, mm. um, and I feel like Eric just destroyed my stereotypes of ones. Uh, I remember when I met him and he told me that he was one and I was shocked because yeah. he just defied what my limited perception of ones was like. Um, and it gave me a lot more sympathy too, just for, mm -hmm. you know, for the struggles that ones have. And so, so uh, just since his interview, like my affection for ones has really just grown exponentially. Mm, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, question two. Uh, what was your favorite game? Uh, Enneagram Superfight was pretty, oh, that was pretty funny. Rich and Bethany? Yeah. 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 That one is, <laughs> yeah, it's just It was ridiculous. pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, what about you? I actually think I like Your Worst Nightmare. Um, those were funny to me. Uh, that's, I guess that that's the game I played whenever we interviewed the nine, but I just think that they're, uh, the idea of like trying to rank like worst fears, I just enjoy it and it was fun to like hear other people's It's and pretty stuff. funny. Yeah. 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 That was a funny one. Um, what was like for you, what was like the biggest drop the mic moment of the season? Like the moment that like one of our guests, you know, said something that you were just like, whoa, that was really, really incredible. Um, okay. So I don't know if it's like a moment, but I think for me, just listening to Beth, um, be able to articulate some of the things that she was saying, uh, as an older nine, it was just really fascinating for me to listen to her and to still hear some of the same uh, ways that she processes things and even just some of the descriptive and uh, pictures that she gives you know she compared experience of a nine to like a deer in the headlights and like a soda bottle and like you know dynamite under a floor and like all these things that just come to the surface really naturally for her to be able to do like visual images uh, that was really cool because I think for me as a nine I I thought that everybody was able to communicate in that way um, but I think as we've talked it's like no that's actually a gift to be able to, to do analogies and, and draw comparisons right, and right and and I think for nines too, it's like we don't really have any other words to say. Like that's the that's the only thing that makes sense to us. And so uh, I don't know. It was just like sobering and encouraging to hear from from somebody in a different season of life that are we're wired similarly. So yeah, yeah, that's cool. Mm -hmm. I think that for me, um, you know, there were a lot of elements in our episode on childhood messages with Katie Joe Ramsey. Mm. Um, you know, as a four, one of the things is she made a statement. And it was almost like an off the cuff remark. Um, is that she talked about that some types place too much emphasis on childhood messages, like mm, that mm -hmm. we give too much power to mm. that idea and that it's probably not historically true. Mm. And I've really kind of been pondering that since then for myself. Like, uh, do I do I think about my childhood messages, you know, my lost childhood message too much, uh, the wounded message too yeah. much? Um, and am I giving it, you know, a little more substance? And is that a way, you know, for me, has that become a way by which I don't, take as much responsibility for my own stuff. Hmm. Um, that's stuck with me since then. You know, that, that's super good. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Okay, question four. What did you learn this season? 
Gosh, I feel like, you know, the Enneagram is already just so robust and well-rounded. Mm. Like one of the things I love about it is that it's not reductionistic. And I just feel like doing this process has just shown, you know, how big and diverse and beautiful personality is, you know, that that God has just made us all so dramatically different. Like in it it opens up, you know, the scriptures to me in new ways because you know, Scripture is always talking about the diversity of the body of Christ and that we all have different mm-hmm. gifts and talents yeah, yeah. and abiding with one another. And I just feel like I can read all of that, you know, with even more breadth than before, mm-hmm. uh, just having sat and explored all these things together. So um, what about you? Gosh, <laughs> um, I I mean, I learned a ton about myself and I learned a ton about how I'm wired. And I think I also learned a ton about um just grown in thankfulness and appreciation, I think, for how other people see the world. Um, it's been really um, encouraging and an honor really to sit in uh, conversations with people who are uh, wired in a completely different way, but still feel like, you know, we are more alike than we are different. And that's been really uh, cool. Um, while I do think I have the ability to see where other people are coming from, the fact that we are differentiated, I think uh, I've learned to, to not merge as much uh, and to be try to resonate and like oh my gosh I get that I'm so similar but like no I'm not like it's okay that you see the world in your way and I see the world in my way and if I can understand that it's one thing but again I think what it goes back to what you're saying that the Lord has designed us all uniquely and that I'm an intentional person and they are an intentional person and to to not take that for granted and to not take that lightly man those are good lessons I know right that's good so if you want our listeners to know one thing what is it you would really like them to know uh I would want them to know that this type of self-clarity is possible, that there's nothing uh, crazy or magic or special about us and the people that we've interviewed. Um, there is a sense that, yes, we've done the work. We've, you know, we've studied the material and that we've we've come to a sense in a place in life that uh, self-awareness was necessary. Um, but it's not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want them to posture us as uh, like perfect or experts. I just want them to know that, uh, that this is a gift that we've been given and we were passing it on and um, that we are still learning and um, that it's okay to be where they are in their journey of self-awareness and in their relationships. Um, but yeah, just keep going. I think that for me, what I really want folks to remember and to know is that, and we said this, you know, a little bit of this is like in our 10 rules in the first episode, but mm-hmm. we're just really, really complex people and God holds it all. There's nothing that we are going to discover, nothing that's going to be revealed to us that's like shocking to God that oh, he's good. like, yeah. oh, I didn't know that about you. Mm-hmm. Um and in fact, there's there's a lot of uh, parts of us that we will never know fully until, you know, we are uh, set free from the bondage of this world. Like, so there's there's just truth to to the reality that, that God knows us fully and completely, that he loves us as we are, but that also in his grace, he doesn't leave us where we are. So I, I just want folks to remember that um, we have a lot of civil war going on inside of us, mm-hmm. uh, the good and the bad. And just to remember that it's important that we know the bad news because it makes the good news all the sweeter. As always, thank you to Crosspoint Ministry that trained us in the Enneagram. Yes. You guys changed our lives. We are so thankful Literally for you all. Literally changed our lives. To learn more about Crosspoint or to attend one of their really helpful retreats, visit crosspointministry.com. 
Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself and Sam Stevenson, engineering and editing by The Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Mm-hmm.